0: Counsel the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about the Abuse Pendulum. I'm thankful to be with my friend uh, today, Dr. Jim Neuheiser. Uh, Jim is Professor of Christian Counseling and Pastoral Theology at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is a counselor and supervisor with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, ACBC, and uh, he's been a friend for many years now. So Jim, thanks so much for being with us for the conversation today.
1: I'm so delighted to have this privilege.
0: So we're talking about the Abuse Pendulum, and this that title comes from a series of articles that you have published on your website. and other material that you've put together. And it really relates to this hot-button item of how do we biblically counsel in cases of abuse. And I know part of this topic for you came out of just recognizing that Christians and churches haven't always handled abuse scenarios well in the past. So maybe let's start talking with what are some of the ways that um, abuse situations have mishandled by some Christians in the past.
1: Yeah, and I would count myself among those who haven't handled it as well as we should. Um, There's a lot of language in the Bible about God's care for the oppressed. You know, Proverbs 31, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. And I think that... When I came into the biblical counseling movement, which would be the late 1980s, the way that we were taught about abuse was that if there is physical violence, if there's blood, broken bones, and bruises, of course we separate the couple and you want the wife, it's usually the husband who's done it, not always, we want the victim to be safe. But I think as we had this zeal to protect marriage, and that zeal has a legitimacy because back then you had the you know, earlier years of no fault divorce. There was divorce was becoming more rampant in the church itself. And there are a lot of people divorcing on unbiblical grounds or not all divorces are good and biblical. There are a lot of terrible divorces, even among professing Christians. And so in this passion to defend marriage from those who took it lightly, would God is joined? Let no man separate. I think that we were unbalanced in not adequately protecting those who might be suffering a great deal within marriage as long as there wasn't physical signs of harm. And so in, in my own case, in my pastoral counseling in our church and then some counseling more formally, Yeah, you know, when you'd have a wife in a very difficult marriage, and again, there was never violence, but you have a man who's a horrible sluggard, a man who verbally berates his wife hatefully. A, a man who uh, confuses his wife and tries to make her think she's crazy because she's misremembering everything. A man who you know, won't give his wife money to shop with and keeps the finances separate. And you know, some have used the term hyperheadship, which is often a problem that, uh, in, in cases that had some of those elements in it, And the wife is kind of hinting, you know, what does it take for me to get out of the situation? My position now is different than it was then, and that I think there can be conditions short of physical violence that at least give a wife the freedom to separate herself physically. Well, again, I'm all for counseling, you know, the husband to repent and the wife to forgive and to reconcile. That's just like adultery. It's always going to be my... Almost always my objective, unless there are things so hideous, you know, molesting children or something where whatever, you could be just broken. But I think that I've had to go back actually and seek forgiveness from the ones who came to mind or I was reminded of. And it'd be, yeah, I don't know, four or five going back and just saying, I now realize that. I made it sound like we might discipline you that you're absolutely not free to leave. And now I believe that you, I couldn't make that choice for you that I still don't think you, I might even not thought you should leave. I hope you didn't leave, but I couldn't tell you from the Bible you weren't allowed to leave because you were really suffering a great deal. And he was in the other thing I've had to confess. And so I, in our zeal to protect, Marriage, I don't think always we protected the safety of someone who is really suffering. I've also had men in suffering in situations like that where a wife is nagging and screaming and not letting him sleep and, uh, sh- you know, shaming him in front of the children, saying awful things, manipulating, controlling, spending. And so it's not just men doing it to women, but I I think that there can be cases where they have a choice. You know, a passage which I thought a lot about in First Corinthians 7 where... Paul says in verse 10, To the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain married or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. So Paul is speaking broadly in those verses, and yet it's interesting to me that he says, okay, I'm telling you not to leave. But then he says, but if you do leave, and you're thinking, well, what do I expect Paul to say if I hadn't read ahead? Well, back in chapter 5, he just talked about discipline for publicly shameful sins. And yet, he doesn't threaten discipline there. And it was kind of an argument you know, by reasoning and inference. But I think, I think it may be significant that Paul is saying, okay, you've got two choices now. And, and the choice isn't we're going to kick you out as an unbeliever. The choice is if you've decided things are so horrible, you need to get out, and you don't have clear biblical grounds for divorce, Your options are you stay single or you reconcile. But even based on those verses, in my mind, if there's a situation that is really hard, I think a woman or a man has a freedom to make a choice. And I know I'm talking for a long time, but I'll give you one way I have as kind of a broad criteria. Like if you take three broad categories, I've been in cases where a couple experiences a bit of ordinary marital conflict, and one party wants to use that as an excuse to get out. And I'm not buying it. And we're going to deal with that in a very, very firm way. And then there's an other extreme is there's violence physically, or even just, I mean, incredibly, like every category of mistreatment is being heaped upon this poor person where I would say, look, if it was, if you were my sister or my daughter, I would tell you get out of there. I wouldn't tell you to remarry. I you know, hope the guy repents. I hope you know, it'll work out. But this situation is so horribly oppressive, I think not only are you free to go, I kind of advise you to. But then there's this kind of middle category where it's bad. It's not good. It's troubling. Mistreatment is taking place. There's some sin on both sides, but one party more than the other I don't think I can compel the person who believes they're being oppressed in that situation. You must stay. I hope you'll stay, but quite frankly, I don't know. If she says she's unsafe, that guy may harm her a week from now. If he's kicked the door, kicked the dog, she may be the next thing to get kicked. And so I just think she has choices to make that I can't control. That's hard for us as biblical counselors because we always want to have a pat, yes or no, black and white answer.
0: No, that's helpful, and you've already gotten into some of this, but what are some of the areas where you think that Christians, churches, could do better in handling abuse cases beyond what you've already mentioned?
1: I think that we've moved in a very forward way recently that I'm very thankful for. Like ACBC has come out with two new statements on abuse, with affirmations and denials, clearly defining abuse and talking about some wise practices in these situations. And I mentioned that when I became a biblical counselor, I think the people who trained me uh, were very sincere in their de- zeal to defend marriage, and yet that training wasn't that great. And then I did some of that training. So I think we did not do our job as, as well as we should have I think that's all been improving, and, and virtually every ACBC counselor training center of which I'm aware, now we're doing a much better job of training people in churches or future counselors to recognize other forms of mistreatment and to take them seriously, to hold guilty parties accountable. Uh, I think more churches there's an awareness that we may you, know, you may be called upon, or we need somebody we can call upon for a woman and her children to go and be safe when she has to get away, uh, advice for women who are kind of in that middle category and they don't want to leave but we're not sure they're safe or she, you know, things could escalate, you know, a safety plan, a go-bag, and and so I think there has been a great deal of progress and that the part that's hard for some people would be, I mean, maybe we do need to go back and say, you know, you're not saying it was malice You know, at the time I thought the best practices were this and now I realize otherwise and just humbly admit we should have practiced better we should have trained better uh, admit it, seek forgiveness and uh, care for those who are struggling and not to put a stigma upon those who may I mean most Christian women I've counseled and whom I know don't want to leave, they don't want to be divorced, they want to make it work, and sometimes they say far longer than I think they should have. And so acknowledge and have compassion for what is the usual case of uh, people who are really hurt, tried to make it work, and got out for their own safety.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, the name of the resource abuse pendulum uh, really comes from the fact that as we look at church history, often a, a needed correction to theology or, or practice ends up being an overcorrection, right? Mm-hmm. So the pendulum idea is that we, we need to correct, but we don't want to overcorrect. So what are some of the dangers of that overcorrection that's happening now and, and, and maybe even potential in, in, thinking in categories of a both interpretation overcorrection and, and solutions? What do we do about it?
1: yeah. Um, And so that's why I wrote the mini-book. It's actually going to be a mini-book. The blogs are being turned into a mini-book with ACBC. And I'm glad we talked about what I've gotten wrong and we've gotten wrong and how the church needs to take it seriously, because I think that's the most important thing. But I also believe that something has been happening in the biblical counseling movement that goes back to our earliest days, which is an implicit denial of the sufficiency of Scripture and allowing something outside the Bible to inform us and control us in how we understand a problem and how we address the problem. So I'm going to give you an example that many people, some will be familiar, some not. There's a thing called the Duluth Power Wheel. And that has a circle with all these different categories of mistreatment. Now, I think as a common grace description of categories of abuse, it does a decent job of saying these are the kinds of abuse. Some of them are you know, their own perspective because they're not believers. But the problem is, the whole premise of it is the problem is male authority. And they they would view biblical complementarianism of male leadership in the home and in the church and men having power as being, that's their interpretation of what the problem is. Well, and I've been grieved to see people in our who have been in our movement in the past and people who in the past affirm biblical complementarianism Moving towards egalitarianism, rejecting male leadership in the church and in the home, because that's the problem. And and the answer isn't to obliterate what the Bible teaches about distinctives, gender distinctives in the home and the church. It's for men to be Christ-like, humble servant leaders instead of domineering jerks. But the answer isn't to take away what the Bible says, similarly in the church. The fact that church leaders sometimes haven't held abusers accountable isn't that we eliminate male church leadership, it's that we get male church leadership to do what the Bible says they should do. And so that would be an example of the interpretation side. And then there are particular things that are going on, and I have, I think, seven in the blogs and the booklet, but... There, there are statements being made that coming out of the Me Too movement, coming, I think, out of a secular trauma and psychology abuse perspective that are being accepted as kind of gospel truth in all circles, including our own or some of our own, that are contrary to Scripture. And and yet what, I'm try, what I try to do even in the mini-book is to say they're getting at something, but they're taking it too far, which is the pendulum, like one is believe all women, or always believe an allegation of abuse. Well, the point they're making that's valid is that there have been many victims of abuse who have not been taken seriously. They would say, oh, no, he's a pastor who would never do that, or you must be, you must have been trying to seduce him if he came on to you that way, or it must have been your provocative dress. And so there have been women who have tried to express the harm done to them, be it sexual abuse or otherwise, and they've, not, they've been treated with skepticism or even scorn. And so we, we need to take all allegations seriously. But it's unbiblical to assume somebody is guilty, always believe all women, or always believe victims. You have the example, Joseph was accused by Potiphar's wife of attempted rape, and that was a lie, and he went to prison. And there are actually people today who are in trouble with the law getting kicked out of universities because of one unsubstantiated allegation. And so I would say, you know, instead of saying believe all victims, you take all allegations seriously. If there's any reason to believe someone's in danger, you keep them safe. You can keep them safe without judging the other party. Uh, you investigate. If it's a legal matter, you let the law do their part. But you can't, without meeting a biblical standard of proof, treat someone as guilty. So that would be one example. You want to know one? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you another one, and this is actually a strength of the ACBC document that's come out, is that it's if you feel abused, you've been abused, is the truism stated. That's too subjective. And I think ACBC does a great job in their new document saying that we need to define abuse not by how someone else felt. We need to define it by actual words and actions. And so, I mean, you've had cases lately where a professor in a Christian school will tell a student they had the wrong answer, And they say, you've done violence to me. And, you know, again, I want to take seriously these other forms of abuse. I think we do need to take seriously that people often feel really terrible, even though there's no blood. But at the same time, just for anybody to be able to say, I'm a victim, we need to examine what the person actually did and said against a biblical standard to evaluate whether wrong has been done. So that would be just one of many examples we could give.
0: Oh, that's so good. I mean, this is such an important topic. And, yeah, there, there's been correction needed. And uh, um, and in some cases, uh, you know, even the seeking of forgiveness, repentance. But on the other hand, we don't want to go too far the other direction and abandon, you know, clear biblical teaching and practice. So really helpful, Jim, as always. I appreciate the, the
1: balance that you bring. Can I give you, you one know? more that I think is really important? Yeah. Maybe one of those that most concerns me and it is that people make an accusation that Scripture gets weaponized. There's something valid to that. Is there are many men who quote Ephesians 5.22 to their wives, obey your husbands or you know, submit to your husbands, and these men never have read Ephesians 5.25 about reading, of loving their wives in a Christ-like way. But you've had people say, or even write, Christian counselors write blogs saying, well, I don't use the Bible when I counsel a woman who's been abused because Scripture has been weaponized against her. So again, I want to take that seriously. I hate when someone, you know, there are many men who are misusing the submission passages as an excuse to be domineering jerks. And so we need to acknowledge that. We need to deal with it. But if you're not going to use the Bible to help this woman, what wisdom do you have? And actually, I'll tell you where you're getting it. You're getting it from the world, which is misinterpreting it and giving bad solutions. The answer to the misuse of Scripture is the correct use of Scripture, not the non-use of Scripture. And actually, Ephesians 6 says the, the Bible is a weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. And, yeah, we need to bring the compassion of the Bible to the one who's hurting. There's so much lament in the Bible and compassion for the suffering. We, we need to bring the proper view of men and women from the Bible against the travesty of the improper use of male authority. But, again, that's just to be another example of uh, people who are, if they're, if they're taking the Bible out, then they're putting something else in its place, and that is not, and often it's unbiblical. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. So good. It, it, it's so essential that we get this right biblically, pastorally, and as counselors in that. So thank you, as always, for helping us to to see a biblical balance. Uh, really excited for the mini book to come out. And um, for those of you not familiar, you need to check out ivcd.org and uh, jimnewhizer.com, where Jim contributes regularly, along with uh, other helpful contributors. So Jim, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. more information about the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, you can visit us at thecbcd.org.